Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned in to the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools within their success portfolios. I'm joined today by Suman Kananganti, founder and CEO of Personal.ai. His company's mission is to build an AI that's personalized for each individual person and designed to augment human biological memory. Let's head on over to the interview. Suman, welcome to the show. Eric, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, I'm really excited, and I'm looking at a beautifully designed logo behind you right now on the ground of your company. Would you share just briefly how you came up with the name of Personal.ai and what's so important about its logo and what it represents? Oh, wow. I didn't know that you were going to start off with that point, but I really love it because it's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, Personal AI as it sounds, is truly an individual AI that we want to create for every person. Um, We know AI as mostly like, you know, aggregation of lots of data into one model as a bot. Our core thesis is it's a unique model of you. It's a unique model that represents your style, your knowledge, your authenticity, and your voice and your expression. And that's the holy grail of personal AI. So the logo is a person uh, with a reflection of who you could be in the digital sense, in the digital world. Uh, so the, the white part is the human and the purple part is, is essentially the AI. And we've been thinking a lot about, you know, what color of choice that we should be using. And if you think about the, you know, the natural colors that exist around us, you know, the water is blue and the plants are green, you know. Um, So the digital life should be something different than what we normally experience on everyday basis. So it's like, huh, maybe purple is the digital life. So it's kind of like where we landed on purple because it's not prominently available in the natural colors that we see every day in the in the physical world, right? You know, planet Earth. Uh so yeah, so it's it's, it's almost like a imperfection that is kind of baked into the logo because every human is imperfect in their own sense. So there is a subtle nuances if you look closely on how the triangles are not exactly the same size. So I can go on and on in the most detail that you would want to, but at the <laughs> end of the day, it's the beauty of like human and AI and the person and AI like working together and that's personal AI. Our company official name is actually Human AI Labs. So it's like human plus AI rather than thinking human versus AI, human to AI. You don't want to consider this as like a separate part. It's essentially an extension of your mind. It's an essentially extension of you, right? It changes the dynamics of how you think about hmm, simple technology. Yeah, I, I just love that. And I also love the color purple. So I think really it, it probably resonates with me even more so. But yeah, thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. And and Suman, before we dive deep into your entrepreneurial story and really that expertise you have within AI and, and creating a personalized AI, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to the show listening, some quick background on this. I look at it like an investment portfolio, and that's 
your compilation of finances and investments that lays the foundation to reach your financial goals. Well, here on the Eric Mueller Show, I want to discover how people like Suman invest in themselves and build the foundation for their success. So Suman, start us off. What are some skills, traits, habits, or mindsets that make up your success portfolio? It's very interesting. Um, first of all, I, I, I'm, I think I'm probably not the right person to call like myself successful because I don't usually relate, I don't know, me to the success. I, I have this like vagueness around what does it actually entail, but I will tell you the characteristics of the traits that I tend to follow, and maybe that's probably what you're looking for. Um, the one thing that I push for pretty heavily with our company, with the people around you, with the work that you do, with the communications that happens, uh, is it has to be human first. In, in other words, uh, the first characteristic that you have to build to do any progress, to even reasonably achieve any goals or any milestones, is respect. Like you got to empathize, you got to have a level of understanding on what is going on in somebody else's mind without judging and respecting to who they are, what they are, what they are made of. Because when you subtly change on how you think about viewing other people and their perspectives and opinions, that will have you that will actually give you like a lot more data for you to deal with in terms of how you make the decisions rather than you know, really pushing forward with like one way of thinking and one way of thought. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think the first trade for me is is respect, not just your team members, your you know your family, your people around you, um, random people around your customers. And so I think it goes along on uh, you know having a skill to be able to really dig in, listen, and empathize before you tap. So I think this first. Uh, second thing I would say in the entrepreneurial journey is to be like, look, I, I think there's always like ups and downs, right? Uh, you will have like an amazing, you know, investor come and invest in you and then you will be over the moon and, you know, you will have shitty days where customer like really hates you because something, you know, crapped out, right? But the key is when you have ups and when you have lows, are you still grounded, right? So the, the keyword is, is the grounded nature of it. Because unless and until you understand the facts around what you are dealing with, um, you will get carried away in either directions, right? Either it be the high points, and if you go in the direction, then you will fall off pretty fast. Are in the low points, if you go in the direction, then you will never be able to come back up, right? So being able to have that emotional balance and still stay grounded, I think is really important for being able to run a company or push it forward because it's going to be challenging. I mean, uh, but it's going to be fun at the same time. And that's the two different, I guess, extreme emotionals that you'll probably (laughs) feel and experience. And the third thing I would say is a little bit closer to my heart and... uh, you know, why, uh, like personally, I and my previous company kind of all exist, uh, is I'm a technologist. I love technology. I'm always biased of the technology. But at the same time, one thing that I learned to do is do not start a company with technology. Start a company with a problem in mind, right? And then look at what are the technologies that you can you know, use, leverage, practically feasible 
to be able to put together a solution and experience for that particular problem, right? Uh, because it's very easy for a technical people to like fall in love with the technology. And I do that too. I still do that. It's a very hard thing to do uh, because it's just so much fun. But if it is fundamentally not solving the problem, then there's no point. Uh, so yeah, I think maybe those are the three, you know, clear things that I could probably, I guess, offer. Yeah, no, I think those are great things. And the thing that I was just thinking about is that I just find it kind of funny that you don't associate, you know, the word success necessarily with you personally, because, you know, it doesn't take long to look through your experiences and just going on LinkedIn to see, I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur. I mean, you're, you have experience raising funds for a, for a company. And, and I, I just think someone looking at that, that it's in, in my point of view, it's inspirational, to be honest with you, Saman. So I think you are successful. I, and it brings me to, to the question of what is success, really? So to, to you, I mean, if, if you were to, to be asked, what is your definition of it? Do you have a, a working definition of what success means to you? Is it is it rooted deeply within, you know, kind of those values you shared or, or is it something different than that? It's funny you ask that because um, on a day-to-day basis, you know, especially like in the early stages of the company, you know, you're building, you're talking to customers, you're trying to figure out what the problem is. And, uh, and I can tell you stories from my past life as well because they're fun. Um, at the end of the day, the most excitement that I ever get, the, the feeling of like, hey, this is so good is when a customer personally like tells me and writes a note and how I think amazing things were, right? You know, it's like really touching that like core moment of magic or experience. And you actually truly made a difference makes me most happy than anything else. Like, you know, from a professional, from an you know, entrepreneurial setting. Uh, and I think there's something about it. Um, I want to see when I become billionaire if that will change, but so far it didn't happen. And so far I still enjoy, you know, just the uh, level of impact that one could have with the work that you are doing is just like magically, you know, much more, I guess, valuable to you to feel good about it than anything else. Yeah. And it, it just touches that piece too about, about keeping the human element in there and, you know, even though you have a technology company that's, you know, going to involve an AI that's helping people, you know, lead better lives, there's still, you know, the end user as a person, as a human. So yeah, it's 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 great to hear that those personal, you know, messages when they reach out and say, hey, Suman, this was fantastic. I'm so grateful for this service that you're providing me, you know, that that still resonates with you in a big way. And I'm really excited to learn more about personal AI and the technology behind it. Would you mind just walking us through how it works with your company and maybe briefly on its potential to to revolutionize the way people can relive their memories? Yeah, so our goal at the end of the day is to um, create a model that essentially replicates, you know, who you are. You know, I was saying a little bit of introduction to it. Um, the, the, the company started about this core idea that people will forget, right? People forget. And I have a story that I can probably share at a later time. Um, we create a lot of things, we consume a lot of things, we you know experience a lot of things on a day-to-day basis, but you know, we are human beings, we are limited, we forget. So what does it mean to be able to have a model that actually remembers you know, everything of us, who we are, um, and augments in our daily lives? So 
the experience that we are creating is we are very much like a very uh, consumer driven. So we want to get this AI experience in the hand of everyday consumer. So the experience today is something about increasing access or communication between people. Um, in other words, you know, if you look like yourself to Eric, having a deeper level of access to yourself is something more meaningful, meaning you may not be able to remember, recall a lot of these uh, things and ask questions to yourself. Um, but then by virtue of having your a digital self, your own AI that taps into your knowledge, your style, your conversation, you are uh, able to open up greater access to Eric to the people around you as well. So the experience that you are asking about personal AI is a simple messaging application. It's a chat application. But in this chat application, everybody who signs up for a personal AI account and comes in there will have their own uh, model continuously training them. So let's just say you would sign up for personal AI. You would come in. Any message that you send to yourself, such as a text, an image, a paragraph, a document, or any of your historical piece of information will all be trained. And you would invite your friends to have a communication or to have chat, very similar to WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram, any other application. And when you are communicating in personal AI application, your AI in a co-pilot mode will automatically be suggesting responses if it feels highly confident for you to simply swipe right and send it. So you're still taking, you know, an action or a control to be able to send it. But, you know, Eric, you are a content creator. Technically speaking, you probably have lots of content that you generated. You probably have, you know, good amounts of audience who would want to talk to you. You can choose to set your AI in an autopilot mode as well with a specific audience of a specific group if you would choose to where when you're sleeping, when you're doing podcasts, when you're busy, there is still benefit for other people being able to access your mind in a more purest, authentic manner that never exists currently. So that's the motivation and the experience behind personal AI. Yeah, it's it's just outstanding hearing you explain it really kind of tied up some loose ends I had when I was reading through the website. So yeah, Sumana, I appreciate that explanation. And I'm sure it clarifies for the listener too, just really the impact that this technology can have. And so I, I think one thing that stood out to me, and personal.ai is the link to get this. I'll tag this in the show notes, but there's a quote on there that says, what I remember is who I am. What I recall is who I will become. And so I think that that is just wildly profound. And I, I want to ask you, Simon, how can this technology help people become a better version of you? It's a deeper philosophical question, but the belief is the following. Um, I will answer that with a story, okay? So in my previous company, it's called uh, Ira, A-I-R-A. It's a technology for people uh, who are blind and low vision. So it is a combination of augmented reality, AI, and human in the loop. So essentially, a blind person uses a wearable device, and they will call into an agent, and the agent teleports into the blind person's world, and they will describe things in real time for them to not just get from point A to point B, but also, uh, you know, negotiate with the physical environment. Like, what does 
how does a blind person experience Disneyland? How does a blind person experience like reading a child book to their children, right? Those are the, the unlocking experience. So one of the story was um, after like a year or two, you know, there was a little bit of reluctance early on, like, you know, what does it mean uh, to understand everything that is going on around you? It's like, yeah, you know what? Um, I probably don't know how the world looks. I probably don't care about like Disneyland's, like, you know, these experiences and everything else. But as people started experiencing, one of the comments that I received was, you know, Suman, I went to this everyday store. I've been doing this for like 13 years and I never knew this ATM existed in that store. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I used to like take 13 miles and go to the bus. The point I'm trying to make is the vastness of the unknown when it becomes known is so dramatically different and improving and it's magical that it's hard to imagine unless you try it out. It's like almost like going to space, right? It's unknown. We know that. Right. Like, but but until we go there, we don't know, you know, we, we cannot explore like exploration idea. Now, like, now let's bring back to uh, uh, personal AI. Like, what does it mean to be tapping into the unknown of all the experiences or forgotten memories that you have had in the past, all the things that you have learned as a student, all the conversations you had with people, all the shake-ins that you have done all the food that you have eaten, right? When you are able to unlock those experiences and your AI magically brings it up because you either forgot or somebody messages you, you know, what was your experience like or what was your favorite restaurant like when you went to Australia in 2017? Carlos, I don't remember. I had to look up or if it exists, right? Now that is like my personal AI will fetch up my favorite place in Australia is the, you know, pizza kitchen that has Indian flavors in it. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So, so there are like multiple things happening there. One, you don't remember. So you are elevating that experience and you, you, your personal AI is helping you bring it up. Uh, two, uh, it's, of course, saving time, right? Like, you know, because I don't have to go look up assuming the information exists. And three, it immediately establishes that connection without having to, you know, come back to it because, you know, I do want to establish a connection with people. So I would simply connect and send that message and be up to date. It's almost like having like this unread emails in your email. You know, my inbox is always clean. I never like any messages that are unanswered. <laughs> it's almost like an OCD thing. <laughs> yeah, so I think those, those, those are like three levels of, uh, deeper level of uh, benefits that I think uh, should exist. And that's the next next generation of experiences with AI. Right. And and, and Suman, do you do you think that are there some ethical implications of deploying this technology, like addressing maybe the problem of of bias within AI technology as it exists today with with some centralized AIs that that people are experiencing? You know, Chat GPT obviously being a, a pretty mainstream one at this at this point in time. I'm curious to to ask you about, you know, that personalized AI. Are are we going to be you know, walking around with with a device such as our cell phone that's just constantly always on? Like, is that, could that possibly be, you know, a, a privacy concern for people? And, and and how might we address that? So that would be a choice, right? So first of all, yes, everybody should be concerned about their data. Um, but let's talk about what is the alternate choice that people have. So far, 
you know, over the past 20 years or so, we've been experiencing internet the way it is. We've been experiencing articles, social media, platforms, you know, exchanging data, exchanging emails. Great. It was tons of consumer utility. It was so much fun. We had so many connections, so many relationships. Uh, however, as you mentioned, ChatGPT are large language models. Uh, you know, they took a step forward and said, hey, we will take all the world's information that is publicly available from everybody, anonymize it, create a model, and then outperform human, uh, which is fantastic because it has, you know, its application and it has a greater utility. But uh, there is no value kickback back to the individual consumer, individual people. Where is the data coming from? Who must be attributed to what has been generated? Right. So what if you indeed all this data capture that is happening around you on your mobile phone, on your devices, on your computers, the data capture mechanisms will only increase and it will be more ambient. In other words, Alexas are there at home. So the question to ask is, how can I make this data work for me in a way that is private, in a way that is trustworthy to me? In a way, it is creating utility for me and maybe potentially uh, having an economic incentive or benefit to me, right? Otherwise, you are basically splicing your life, giving it to, you know, um, giving your data to different platforms. You don't have to like go detail into that when we all understand it. Uh, but rather, this is a mechanism to take control of your data, your life, your model. You own it and make it for your purpose. You establish that relationship connections. And let's say in the future, there are services or apps who needs to use your data. They need to be making an API call to you, uh, to your personal AI. Not, don't send your data to them, right? So yes, there should be privacy concerns. There should be trustworthy concerns. And uh, I want to position personal AI as a solution to those problems. You know, not elevating the problems that exist. Even the bias, you mentioned about the bias. Why does bias exist? Well, because you are aggregating lots of data from a specific, you know, group of things, a group of people, or a specific type of data, right? And it's an algorithm. And when there is greater something, then it's likely, you know, high chances of picking that something, right? Um, in the personal AI case, by design, you are your own bias. In other words, if you do think there is a bias of like you on something, yeah, that is who you are as an individual. What you believe in, you know, culturally may be different than what I believe in or some other country will believe in, right? Uh, so this idea of like ethics is subjective, is subjective to where you grew up, who you are, where you are currently. But the core of personal AI is to elevate individuality which is your AI makes up or makeup of you. Yeah, and that, that's actually where my mind was going as you were getting to the point of, of the bias is really like, it's, it's you. So if, if your AI is answering in a certain way and it's biased, you know, it's, it learned it from you. So I think that's kind of like your, your responses, you know, are, are biased in a certain way. You know, everyone listening based on your educational experience, your upbringing, you know, where, what country you were born in, where you've traveled to. So I think, Really, this technology, from a personalized standpoint, really excites me to, you know, to be able to, to like you said, I mean, we're, we're probably already at that point where there's so much ambient, uh, you know, capture of information. 
And we, we need to figure out the best way to harness it and, and be able to, to use it to our benefit to, to keep the human aspect there. Because I think that's the core, that's the core message of this whole thing. And really my, if I could call it a concern with AI in general is not losing the human aspect of connecting with people I love, like my family or friends. And, you know, if I have a, a device or, or a, a technology that can help me save time and, and, you know, kind of act and respond in the way that I do, I think that's a win-win. I think that's a, I think that's an incredible solution to that, that problem of, uh, you know, how do we, how do we responsibly use artificial intelligence? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we, uh, I mean, as of today, we are still in the wait list, but uh, we are testing it. So I have my sister, you know, who communicates with me on my platform and I have my team members who communicate with me on my platform as well. Uh, <laughs> like generally, my sister messages me for all kinds of things, not just like personal and what's going on in your daily life, but she also wants to ask questions um, for her MBA and how I think about, you know, the kind of like questions that you ask, right? Like, you know, how, hey, I'm trying to hire an engineer. What are the things that I need to look for, right? Because she wants my opinion. Uh, and if I don't respond back to her on the text messages within like five minutes, she's going to call me. <laughs> so, right. yes, uh, I, I would need to respond to her and then I want to respond to her. But now she's like so obsessed with or attached to just like talking to me alongside with my AI. And I got to a point where I put my sister in autopilot and she loves it because it communicates the personal score of what my AI is telling, and it is authentic to me. She knows that it is all coming from my data because she verifies. She asks, like, you know, do you love your sister? <laughs> oh, oh, man, putting it on the spot. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's like a little bit like factually funny, but it is like truth, right? Because it's not just like a random generated like AI that doesn't know who I am. It is actually a model that is completely trained and what I want to, it to be, like, you know, who I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you mentioned the wait list. And I, I actually, just today, I joined it. So we're, we're oh, recording thanks. this episode March 1st. But you're listening out there. It's now March 30th. So are, is that, you know, are we past the wait list? Or, Suman, when do you expect this to launch? Is it still, can people go to that, go to that website and, and, and be able to sign up to get an early invite to your technology? Well, if it is March 30th, the hope is people should be able to just simply go sign up and create a free account and get their free personal AIs going and get people in and chat. Um, but if there is still wait list by March 30th, that means that we are ensuring to open up maybe a little bit more control fashions that where the systems are up. We understand, you know, what are we dealing with from a technical standpoint to be able to scale. Uh, so maybe there will be other reasons if there is still wait list up. Yeah, but at the core, the goal is every person should have their own personal AI that they own, that they feel trust with. It belongs to them. There should be no other agendas about the data. In fact, it should be the opposite. Like this is the way to take control of your data, but put it to good use. It's your AI. You know, start with establishing that communication and relation and make it fun and make it useful and make it beneficial. Um, and, you know, communicate on personal AI. 
Yeah, and and it's 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 funny that you you should say that as well. You know, really the whole core idea of the company and you know having a personal AI, it really lines up perfect with. I just asked my previous guest Eric Daimler, who has had probably close to thirty years worth of experience with working with artificial intelligence, and I asked him where do you see it going in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? Just kind of a broad question, and his response was, you know, that that everyone is going to have these personal AIs that are able to you know augment their you know, the life around them in, in a beneficial way. So I think, you know, you're really, you're skating to where the puck is, is going to be, Suman, with your company. So I think you're, you're already ahead of the game with this. And another quote, you, you've been quoted as saying, you don't solve the human, you solve the problem. And that, I really love that quote because it kind of goes to the core of what, what we've talked about this whole time is not removing the human aspect of something like artificial intelligence. And you identified the, the problem of memory retention with your company. And, and your company is the viable solution for that. What point did you realize that this problem existed and, and why did you and your, your co-founders want to solve it? What, what, ex, what inspired you to start your company? Okay, that goes to the genesis of the company. I usually wait for sharing the story until somebody digs me deeper. <laughs> um, so I was, I, was, I was sharing my uh, story with my previous company, right, Ira. Uh, during that company, I met a gentleman who turned out to be my co-founder, also my investor, also my mentor, and turned out to be a good friend. Uh, and he created like around 27 different companies. Um, he's a big biotech person. His name is Larry Bock. Uh, so, you know, in the in the first 18 months or so, I like learned a tons of stuff from this person, right? And he passed away because of pancreatic cancer in no time like within, you know, nine months of getting pancreatic cancer, he passed away. And uh, it was like frustrating. Um, and I picked up this mantra of like, what would Larry do, right? That's my, that's my quote. So if you go to my previous office, you'll see a big sign that says, what would Larry do? And with his photo on it, it helped me like, you know, think from like, you know, his mentality, you know, stepping into his shoes. Like, how do you think about strategy? What kind of questions I need to ask? Can I close this door deal? And how do you, like, you know, all the things that normally you need as an entrepreneur to kind of make progress. Um, and I always wished like I had Larry's AI, right? Now, it's not just about like connecting to Larry emotionally, but it's also connecting to Larry from an intellectual perspective because I trust, I value his opinion than anybody else. And I lose that access right now. So that, that core idea of access to people is, you know, it doesn't have to be just like people like not unable to live and pass away, but it could be because of the status. It could be because of, you know, I don't have enough money. I cannot communicate in some language. They are in a different geographic location. So if like, you know, Google in the search engine solve for access to the world's information that is available on the internet and ChatGPT is now solving for access to the world's information much more easily being able to synthesize all it, Personal AI should solve for access to people next to you without the barriers of time, which we cannot change, without barriers of like, you know, that access because that will always exist. And how beautiful it is to think through like 100 years from now, 4 billion people having their personal AIs, the history of like what humanity is will be a different story than what it will be today. Yeah, that really, that is like, th that's the ideal vision that I would, that I would think of what a personal AI could potentially do for, for me. I mean, I think 
you know, I'm a big family person and have really deep connections with, with those that I love. And really, when I was researching your company, I, I thought of a quote that my beloved great uncle Dick shared with me near the end of his life. I was really close with him. He was the most generous man I've ever met. And as he was, as he was sick and in the hospital, he said to me, at the end, all you have is your memories. And that really just struck me so, so true. And I was, you know, memories are such a vital element of our lives. So to think that this technology could help you connect with, you know, someone that has passed away or someone that you want to get to know better that, you know, is living in a different part of the world. So I, I'm wondering if, do, do you think we're, I mean, how far away might we be from that reality? You know, looking at where your company is now and, you know, we, we, we have the wait list. It may or may not be completely open today on March 30th, but Suman, where do you think uh, we'll be in, you know, five or 10 years? Are we going to be there that quickly? Five or 10 years? Yeah, I totally believe so. And I think, look, I mean, two years ago, we've been like pounding on doors of investors who challenged us the approach that we are taking to the models that we are building because it was not believable and it was also too far out. It was very science fiction-y and there is privacy of the data. It's like just too many different variations, but principally it's very simple. It's memories, it's private. And it's a model. Well, you know, three years into working through personal language model, thanks to my co-founders who basically built the technology, built the product, built the experience. We have experimented it. And thanks to ChatGPT, because, you know, they really showed the promise of what AI can do with the large language model. At least there is a sense of promise. It's not personal AI, but we are exactly the opposite of it. But the, the technology development has been happening all the way along. Now it is hitting, you know, the consumer world. And I mean, we are the consumer AI company that should exist uh, because it is personal AI and that was core all along. Um, so, you know, I want to say it's already so good from my own perspective, but the models are only going to get better. The data capture is only going to become more ambient. The access to devices in regards to the compute power in terms of your models are only going to be getting closer to you and onto your devices, you know, in terms of privacy. The level of privacy and the data ownership that is needed, and, you know, thanks to Web3, we have a Web3 and blockchain angle as well, which we can stage for later. Um, there, there, there is a reason why data ownership and there are communities who latch onto it. So all these trends will continue to happen. Um, and it's a matter of time when creating a personal AI account is no different than like simply having, you know, a Gmail account or an email account that everybody has to use for communication, right? Right. Uh, it should be that. Uh, simple and it should be a digital asset that people will you know hold on to that only grows in value that only accrues in value that only gets smarter i mean think of a digital asset that actually accrues in value over a period of lifetime nothing nothing i mean you just throw away yeah i mean i i think one aspect of of the app from what i can garner from from the from the website in terms of features you know, you're, you're able to set up a, a co-pilot response with the AI, you know, a certain percentage of, of how much you want it to influence your messaging. 
Am I correct on that? I mean, you can have a complete auto response or you can have a, this co-pilot. It's kind of a hybrid response. Is that is that a right way to understand it? Uh, co-pilot is where you control the response before it being sent, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, it's like it's like uh, aviation terminology, but you're you're still in control uh, in right. a co-pilot setting. My AI will try to generate a response, you know, assuming the data corpus exists, you know, assuming the incoming intent or question. I'm able to confidently create a response that is like north of eighty percent personal score. It will show it to you. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not personal enough. If it makes sense, you swipe right. You send it, but you're still in control. If it doesn't make sense, if it's like, you know, halfway there, you simply edit and send it. It stays still saves half the time. If it's like, you know, completely random, it because it, it did not understand it's not part of your data corpus, but you still have thoughts to it. Well, dismiss it and it will respond like any other time, right? Uh, in the autopilot, the intention is you can set certain scores, such as, you know, Eric and someone has like a relationship. And I would be okay to set Eric in autopilot mode if my scores are not of 70%. So when you are asking me things of, hey, what my childhood looked like and who are my people, like where did I grew up? That's fine. When I'm sleeping, I'm okay to let my AI respond to you because I know you won't judge me, right? Like there is the sense of control and freedom and choice that we got to bake in into this experience for you know people to make their own choices. Yeah, customization and that that personal score, I think, really, from my opinion, seems to be what like really could set this company apart as as an early mover in, in this type of personal AI space with really, it, it learns over time to figure out how to be more and more accurate in terms of what your your true response would be. Is it possible for it to get fully to 100% where you could, you know, have it have it have enough data corpus access where you could set that thing on autopilot and just, you know, if you're a CEO and you're a billionaire, you know, which you will be in the future, and you're just like, hey, I'm on vacation, man, but I I, I can still respond to everything. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's that's the target, right? Uh, and right now, there is like good number of people that I'm testing with the autopilot already. The hundred percent already actually happens, but it depends on um, a specific thing. Like for example, you know, if I said or entered, you know, my daughter's name is Zoe, right? Right. And if somebody asks, like, you know, what is your daughter's name? And if there's like a like literally true exact match, like factually correct, then it's hundred percent personal, like because that's what I would say. But there are, of course, like language nuances that will always come into play, right? Mm-hmm. You may not ask exact same thing, but AI constructed and understood the context and still gave you the response. like human nuances, right? Like how do you ask a question? is like a million ways of asking the same question and a million ways of answering the same thing. Uh, so those kinds of nuances always go in. So I think like just having 100 exactly is, is probably like, you know, outliers. But yeah, I know anything of like not 85, 90 we are seeing is very personal. Yeah. And I, you know, structure and style with writing or, or the way that you, you speak, you know, can change over time too. So I think it's, it might be a moving target as well. So if you're, if you're just hitting a, a pretty highly accurate number, that's probably a, a reasonable goal for people to expect. But a kind of a, kind of a segue question, you know, with the technology as a whole, where my mind went to as a healthcare professional, I work in pharmacy. I was wondering if you think that this could apply to maybe a person struggling with a debilitating disease such as dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, it's drastically impacting their memories in real time. Do you think having a personal AI could improve the quality of life in those people? Or are we getting, you know, is is something like this? I always wonder if 
if I'm like, am I going too sci-fi in terms of like, you know, if, if someone passes away, are you able to literally still effectively have them there if you have your personal AI on them? What are, what are your thoughts on that, Suman? It's kind of a, it's kind of a two-tailed question there. So the company first market we actually went after is early stage dementia people to understand what their problems are. Um, that is natural to me because in my previous life, I, you know, augmented the experiences for people who are blind and low vision, right? So people who know me out there in the industry, it's a natural tendency or a choice that I would make. However, the core idea of the memory is so broad. And for people who are early stage dementia, later stage dementia, the form factor and the experience has to be so good that the data capture mechanics and the recall mechanics has to be absolutely perfect, right? So we started off with like a device model where everything is kind of captured for a dementia uh, patient. And then, you know, based on the ongoing conversations to be able to recall particular pieces of information. So for those people, the use case is more, uh, more accuracy, but high frequency use cases, right? Like, you know, I need to know the same information over and over, over uh, again. Uh, so there are two problems with it. One, the technology wasn't there in regards to the 100% accuracy that needs to be provided. Uh, the form factor wasn't there, right? But again, those two are the things that are eventually inevitable. And eventually, as a person I am, I am definitely going to have a device for memory-challenged people, very similar to how we had a device for visually-challenged people. Um, but the beauty is, like, mem memory is such a big problem. It is applicable to, like, widescreen. And this is my first company kind of playing in that like mainstream world, although I'm deep tech kind of person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, your previous company, like you've mentioned, Ira, with, with being able to assist uh, the low vision and, and blind community with a product uh, using and leveraging AI, that's kind of where I started to formulate the basis for, for wanting to ask you about that dementia piece. Because that's, I thought of it, I'm like, gosh, that, that certainly would seem like you know, a pretty natural way to, to think about what, what's a health problem that, that a lot of people experience. And, you know, Alzheimer's, which is a terrible disease is, you know, like 60 to 80% of the dementia is out there. And it's just, it's just horrible to see something like that happen to a loved one or friend or, you know, even a stranger on the street. So I, I think that's really wonderful that your, your goal is to create a product like that. And Suman, I have, I have one final question for you as we close down the interview here. Answer this in any way that you choose. But what is a myth about artificial intelligence or personal AI that you want to debunk, that you want to know people out there listening, Suman is the expert, is going to say this is just not true? Uh, I'm not an expert, but I will give my opinion. Uh, I don't think AI will ever take over anything. <laughs> I don't think so. Because fundamentally, AI is a technology, and what I see that is happening historically is technology is always going to be a foundation for humans to build on top of. In other words, humans will always continue to build up on top of the technology. Um, 
and that will never be reversed because we are much smarter than computers it can have a language model that will outperform humans but when it comes down to really taking the decisions when it comes down to like how we incorporate controls we are a selfish human beings yeah, like yeah. we will never give away control over our lives <laughs> we will have our safeguards <laughs> so so i think the most debunking piece would be you know just this ai science fiction terminator will come and take over the world there is it's very likely that this core idea of like ai's living alongside with humans will likely exist the idea of hey my personal ai will live in metaverse so that it can create experiences for other people and probably become like more self aware to certain degree understanding your emotions probably still uh, very possible but i don't think there is a mechanism where you know the idea of like ai will start like taking over by itself to the point where we will just sit back and relax and let our computers crash overnight right yeah I, do you do you think sentient ai is that as a kind of an adjuvant piece to this question do you think a sentient ai is something that could exist or do you think kind of to that point you just made where you know we're not going to give up control if an ai eventually would be able to have like feelings like a human and be able to have that awareness is that is that even even possible reality or is that could that not happen um you would you would be able to um predict there is certain aspects that you could technologically argue that it will form certain opinions about the feelings but the idea of getting to the uh, sentient and like taking over i think is going to be a bs um because we may create things that has sensors all over to understand how a synthetic robot will feel things and simulate it but i think just the idea of computers being able to do it themselves um i think is important near to impossible um so in a way there could be simulations there could i mean i perfectly will work well um but i i don't see a, a idea of like a you know computer like living thing uh, so i don't see that happening that's, well, that's good. like very biological in nature yeah 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 that's good i th- i think that that you know that's the response i want to hear when i when i talk to people that are that are way more knowledgeable about ai than i am i want to hear that that that's probably not likely cuz that is you know, that's just kind of where my mind goes in terms of a, you know, not a deep rooted fear, but just in the back of the head, like, ah, I really hope I'm, you know, not alive if that were to happen. But Suman, man, I, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. I really, really appreciate all the information you've shared. Everyone listening will tag all the links in the show notes, give you the ability to go on personal.ai and sign up for the waitlist, or if it's live to join that platform. I'm really excited to get my hands on it. And Suman, as we close, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, I mean, assuming you will be on personal AI, will, it's easy to find me and as a friend talk to me. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, the traditional world of uh, Twitter is Suman Personal AI is my Twitter handle. Um, but I would likely 
you know, just move all my communications to personal AI. Uh, you know, once everybody can be able to join, uh, so you can just DM me over there. That sounds like the right plan. They'll get a lot of traffic to your website. Sounds good. Everybody will get their own AI. That's the right. promise. That's right. Well, Suman Kanagati, thank you so much for, for spending the time with me tonight. And I'll be excited to follow your journey. And you're going to join the Billionaire Club at some point. We'll speak it into uh-huh. existence. Let's see. That's not the most important thing. <laughs> if you have billion AIs, that will be the important thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right.